dragons are real. They breathe deep and belch out flame. They soar through the sky and those who keep them reign over all they survey. Dragons are the greatest weapons the world has ever seen. Dragon riders have absolute battlefield superiority, and those who oppose them burn. And when riders turn on riders, and dragons face dragons, the fire is all-consuming, and blood is not enough to save them. Mutually assured destruction means little when a family goes to war. This is a watch party of Ice and Fire. We are your hosts, Constance. Good evening, everyone. Uzma. Greetings, lords and ladies. And myself, Morrigan. Sam and Solar are out for the night. In this podcast, we'll be talking everything and anything a world of ice and fire. In this episode, we are talking about the sixth episode of House of the Dragon, The Princess and the Queen. This episode showed Rhaenyra giving birth to her third child, Joffrey. And she is immediately summoned by Queen Alicent, so she so Alicent can inspect the baby and insinuate he's a bastard. When we learn, uh, we then learn that all the new clutch of Targaryens and Valerians have dragons, except young Aemond, the second son of Alicent whose brother and cousins play a prank on him, claiming to have found him a dragon, the Pink Dread. Turns out to be a pig with wings. Aemond, reasonably, gets upset, and tries to claim a dragon of his own by going down deep into the dragon pit, but finds it a bit too dangerous. Damon and his wife, Lena, and their daughters are feasted in Pentos and offered a bribe to remain. She wants to go back, and surprisingly, Damon wants to stay. This sounds like a nice cush life to him. This leads to a marital fight. Uh, later, during fight practice for the boys, Sir Criston is rather rude to Rhaenyra's children, and Sir Harwin who is likely their real father. <sighs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> starts get, he starts getting defensive of his uh, not-sons. <laughs> Sir Kristen goads Sir Harwin into attacking him to prove the point. And this causes a rumor of Harwin being the boy's father. And poor old Lionel Strong has to, has to resign. But stubborn old King Viserys refuses him. Viserys says, I do not accept your resignation. You're staying. You serve at the pleasure of the president. I mean, the king of Westeros. Sir, uh, Sir Harwin and his father do, however, head off to go back to Hall, their family seat, because 
Harwin needs to get away for a while. Understandably so. Meanwhile, Alicent is fuming, and she has been very upset, and she goes to Laris Strong, the remaining brother, and complains about how his father stands in the way of her father returning, and everything is woe is her, and Laris is like, cool, gotcha, bet, and kills both his father and his brother in a fire after releasing set a multiple prisoners who were condemned to death because that's a good plan uh he then shows himself to be a true sociopath as he explains that it was all her fault and he only did what she wanted him to do even though she never actually said anything of the sort poor alicent never quite gets what she wants uh meanwhile uh, back in Pentos, uh, Lena is giving birth, and it's not going well, and we see a repetition of the events of episode one, where the maester says, hey, I guess I could cut her open, and maybe we could save the baby. Rather than dealing with any of that bullshit, she goes and goes to her dragon, who she claimed years before the great and mighty Vagar. And she says, Dracarys, and has herself burned alive. At the end of the episode, we see Rhaenyra taking her family and retreating to Dragonstone to avoid the storms to come. Now, be sure to listen and pay close attention as you can elevate your master's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. Before we get into the episode, we're starting with our segment for the love of lore, which I'm covering today, where I will be going over anything involving history, culture, and customs in the world of ice and fire. The council will then discuss the lore and how it affects the current episode. In today's lore, we're talking about otherness in Westeros. With a clear focus on queerness and gender nonconformity, because guess what? I'm a trans woman and I wrote this. <laughs> so, in Westeros, there are many forms of otherness, much like in our world, and many of them are the exact same things. Uh, Westeros is quite the mirror, even though a lot of people don't like to think of it that way. Most of Westeros has some very strict concepts of gender roles and heteronormativity and ableism, despite clear exceptions to those standards. The majority still maintain them. This is a world that cruelly punishes those who are different. Anyone who does not fit the common mold is seen as an other. For example, bastards. Everybody knows who the bastards are, and even just being suggested that you're a bastard is a major insult and demeans you and makes you somehow invalid as a person. There's also anybody with malformities or disabilities or injuries. They're often looked down on or mistrusted, marked for life by snide titles like Imp, Clubfoot, 
One Eye, Eunuch, and so on. Queer people, of course, exist in Westeros, but most are forced to hide who they are or risk torment, torture, maiming, or death. Doesn't that sound fun? Known queer men include Renly Baratheon, Loris Tyrell, Laenor Valerian, and Oberyn Martell. All of these showed up in the show and definitely show interest in male lovers. Uh, though I would say Oberyn was most certainly bisexual, possibly pansexual, who knows? Queer women are a little bit less obvious in the TV shows, uh, but there are more signs of women loving women in the books. Uh, some queer women include Rhaena Targaryen, who was the granddaughter of Aegon the Conqueror. She was very close with several women throughout her life. Even as early as childhood, it was stated that she much preferred the ladies of court. Though it is never explicitly stated that she was a lesbian, it is very clearly stated that she may, or very clearly suggested that she married one of her husbands for his sister and not for him. She did not care about him much if you read into it. That same uh, sister also ended up stealing three dragon eggs. No idea what happened to those. They probably got lost or something. Lost to the sands of time. Right. Another example is a character that we all know. Cersei Lannister. She would take ladies to her bed in the books. And it is explicitly stated in the books that she has sex with Taina of Myr. This is a very interesting development that I feel was very unrepresented in the show. Uh, In House of the Dragon, we can also see several tapestries which depict Valyrian orgies with women betting women and men betting men, and of course, women betting men and vice versa, and everybody betting everybody, including people betting dragons because who cares, right? Uh, It's clear that Old Valyria had very different standards than Westeros. And even though the Targaryens and the Red Keep keep all of this lore, all the prejudices are still there. Perhaps because of their conversion to the Faith of the Seven. Who knows? Another facet of otherness that is explored in these stories is gender nonconformity. Several characters are shown to struggle with expectations of their gender. Uh, In this case, mostly people who are AFABs or a female at birth. Uh, Arya Stark is the most Stark example. Um, She very clearly seeks to be treated as, uh, as anything other than the Westerosi standard of a girl. Uh, Brienne of Tarth is another who seeks knighthood and is often called mannish for her demeanor and appearance. And is uh, and both of these are truly fucking badasses, just saying. Yes, they are. Uh, yes, badass. they are. <laughs> we also have uh, in the new show Rhaenyra Targaryen, who struggles significantly with the expectations of her gender. She states early on that she's uncomfortable with a life of just breeding 
and the various expectations of what it means to be a princess, she clearly wants more from life. And, I mean, who doesn't want more from life than what's being demanded of you? But yeah, so that's what I've got. What are your thoughts on otherness in Westeros? Let's start with you, Constance. Well, there's one character that you left out of the count, and that would be Daenerys herself. Yes. Uh, Daenerys takes her handmaiden Eerie to bed with her in very detailed scenes in the novels, which they didn't go for in the book, in the television series. So there's another strong female character that is bisexual or possibly even pansexual. We don't know without knowing more about her preferences. But we do know for a fact that she had both male and female lovers. Uh, and I think that a lot of this in Westeros probably has to do with the faith of the seven, much like the, the Catholic Church analog that the, the faith represents, uh, that very defined gender roles, mother, father, warrior, smith, maiden, crone, and then you have the stranger who is often called the other. They represent neither male nor female. They're completely outside of the structure to where nobody talks about the stranger. Nobody talks about anyone that is different or unique. It's you can form into one of those six roles or you're outcast. Yeah, I was just going to add in uh, an interesting use of the term other in the books, which I don't think was really used at all in the shows, was the White was Walkers, right? Yeah. The White Walkers and their masters were the masters were the others, right? Mm -hmm. And they were just mysterious and unknown and that's just the word that the that the people in the north used other because what else could they call them what are your they thoughts they even cursed Uma? with the uh, they even cursed with the words the others the others take them when like kind of like go to hell they say the others take them one relationship i think you left out was rainira and alicent there are a lot of uh, f oh, yeah. uh, fan theories and ships that say that there might have been something between Rhaenyra and Alicent, at least uh, in terms of feelings. Oh, yeah. Uh, the In the books, it's not necessarily stated. In the show, even, yeah. it's not in exactly stated. But even the actresses have stated that they portrayed the characters with the intent of showing romantic interest whether the director had had input in that or not i'm not sure <laughs> but the actresses said yes that's what we were doing exactly i've seen several people talking about it in our facebook group that uh, there might have been something uh, or at least uh, the fans ship that ship them together and uh, it's possible maybe uh, that Alison was jealous because of that when she found out about Rhaenyra and uh, Damon, kind of uh, like what happened with Christian Cole. It could explain why she is so mad at Rhaenyra. Yeah, I, I mean, considering the fact that or initially it seems like she's upset just about the idea that she would be with Damon. But when it turns out that yeah. it's Kristen Cole, she's still just as pissed. It doesn't matter who exactly. she slept with. Yeah. yeah I, I see your point there. It was there. the lie. It was the bold-faced lie that Allison got upset over. It was a betrayal. Uh, I think that's why she was pissed off. Not, not at the who, but at the what. 
Exactly, and we saw her expression when Otto brought that news to Viserys. She looked mm-hmm. so shocked and still upset when she heard that news. And we all saw how uh, Rhaenyra reacted when Daddy told her who knew Step Mommy was gonna be. Yeah, <laughs> that's gotta be awkward because I, I definitely got the pillow friends vibe out of the two of them, right? To use an old Victorian term for mm. for ladies that were very close to one another and, and best friends, perhaps even intimate with each other. Uh, I, I definitely got that vibe from the two actresses on the show. But yeah, I agree. It wasn't really, I don't think I got anything out of that in the books, but it was a beautiful yeah. portrayal. These two girls that grew up together that were best friends, they had societal expectations placed on them. I really love that they changed this in the show. Yeah. It's not there in the books, but I, lo- I really like this change. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it makes it more, it makes their the rift between the two of them and the coming storm, as they put it, much more meaningful rather than just two women that know each other, but two best friends that were betraying each other. Right. I mean, just the fact like the that that layer makes it so much more believable how mm-hmm. pissy Alicent is and how unwilling to compromise she is now. Of course, people say that it's just about her kids, that she wants to protect her kids. But I don't know. The, the, her, the, her reactions are not just a protective mother. There is a deep-seated rage and discomfort in her. And yeah, I agree. It could very well be because of love lost and betrayal. Exactly. When she heard about the news uh, of Damon and Rhaenyra being together, it wasn't about her kids. Uh, it wasn't up until now that she ca- started caring about thinking about her kids but before that the way she started the the way she reacted it seemed like she was kind of jealous she isn't really happy that uh, Renira is living a happy life with uh, sir harwin and lenor and everyone while alicent just has to lie back and think of westeros <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just thought of a change from the books to the TV series that yeah. was, was kind of interesting. Uh, back to our topic of, of queerness. Uh, Renly did not mm-hmm. have white cloaks as his king's guard. His guard actually had seven striped cloaks based rainbow. on the rainbow of the faith. Yes, yeah, the rainbow, the rainbow guard. guard. <laughs> the rainbow guard. Uh, that got changed because I think that f- from the TV series, because uh, I think that would have been a little too much i don't know i i think it would have been wonderful <laughs> yeah it, it would have been a nice you know hey look they're wearing the pride flag this is this is not something the tv show did to be controversial this was how george wrote it he purposefully put that in there yeah um, but it it would have been interesting to see even in some regard if they had gone through with that but it yeah. probably would have been accused of being too much even though it's actually taken out of <laughs> Yeah. People's anti-woke wokeness. Yeah. Um, all right. So next we have Dragons in the Details, where Constance Muzma will be going over small details you may have missed in the episode, as well as the fantastic costumes, props, and sets used. After you, Constance Muzma. 
you got to see some really interesting things in this episode and uh, before we get to that there were some changes in the opening credits there were some new symbols that showed up in the en- intro so let's uh, get to the intro first the first change we see up until this point uh, before the blood goes uh, above the cliff after that we see demon's helm we have discussed this in our previous episodes how demon's helm have dragon wings and a dragon's head on top this is exactly that so this uh, at fe- so the very first change we see is demon's helm and then uh, i can't recognize this symbol whether it's belong to rainira or alicent it kind of looks like a, an infinity symbol but there are uh, some there's something uh, outside of it uh, what do you think constance i can't figure out this sim- this symbol it looks kind of like a gate with something in front of it i'm not sure uh it's it's always the context of this is bloodlines right that's what this whole opening segment is showing the bloodlines of Aegon the conqueror and his children his descendants i had so a, i actually had a different theory about at at least initially about it being about events and everything which i mentioned mm-hmm. in my opening credits breakdown video but mm-hmm. uh in this case it could be about the bloodlines Yeah, I'm not sure who it's referring to because it looks like it branches off in two directions, which would probably mean two descendants. Right. Could I mean, it be Lena? How I've been interpreting it. It's possible. Uh, is it linked to Damon? Because if it's linked to Damon's then that would make sense because they had two daughters. After Damon's helm, we see this symbol, but uh, it's uh, a yeah. little far off uh, okay. on the wall, a little further down. Yeah. Yeah, no idea. That's kind of the fun of this is try to figure it out. Mhm. <laughs> So if you guys uh, can think of something uh, if you think you can recognize this let us know in the facebook in our facebook pages or on twitter yeah hit us up let us know what you think yeah. then we see uh, the blood leads to two dragon eggs which i think could refer to the targaryen children's or maybe daemon's children what do you think two dragon riders clearly because they're both eggs So yeah, I would agree it has to go to somebody that that becomes a dragon rider in the future or already is one at this point. That would just make sense. Yeah. And then uh and we then see This was different. Yeah. This <laughs> one this time it is different. Yeah, there are three dragons flying on top of several ships and there are some humans walking on the side. There are stairs, I guess. And there are four or five towers which i think could rep- either represent dra- driftmark or dragonstone what do you think mm not sure it's hard to say what what time period this represents but uh it could be something that's going to happen it could be again showing the conquest it could I be i think this might i don't think it's the, the con- conquest because it was no. in the previous intro yeah so exactly it has it to be slightly some- different Yeah. What do you think Morgan? Do you have any thoughts on it? Uh I think it's a uh, representative of the the families and the interconnections with Driftmark with the Valerians uh and the growing dragon population there, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it's possible. This dragon looks huge, the one in the center and the one on the sides are small. 
Right, Vagar, and, just saying. <laughs> and the ships uh, can imply Valarian ships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's possible. Let us know what you guys think about it. After that, uh, we see uh, some symbol which which is either a spear or kind of a looking glass or something on the left side. And then uh, it looks kind of like a castle to me. And there's a carving on it. I tried to zoom in, but it got very blurry. So I can't figure out which what it is. But it looks like a bird to me. What do you think, Constance? Yeah, I was, I'd agree with you, though. That looks like a bird. It looks like a bird and maybe a book. It could kind be a book, book, but uh, it looked like kind of shield or a castle. Like a shield, yeah. Interesting. I wonder who that could be. Yeah, a closer look... Uh, I still can't figure out despite the closer look. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. It's one of those weird little details. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so now we're going to go to Pentos. I'm going to take a look here. Uh, They went with a very Indian theme uh, for Pentos to kind of give it a complete... Westerosi being usually Central Europe in England, they went for a completely different feel for this to to differentiate where we are. He's got on a tunic with a lot of embroidery and a lot of different colors. None of it is these usual somber black and red. It's it's very ornate. It's very detailed for him, which is a great departure, showing that he's moving away from his marital, his martial, excuse me, martial status into a more domestic one, as they've been spending time in Pentos, he and his wife and his daughters, which it's been eight years, I believe. Ten years or eight years? I think it was ten years. Was it's it ten been years? ten yes. years. Yeah. And they're eight years old. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they've been married for ten years. They've got two little girls that are twins. Mm. And uh, one of which has a dragon and the other doesn't, which is very sad. Uh, and you can see here that they've got some horse statues going for decor. And she's wearing more of a sari type styled outfit. And there's a cute little horse, little rocking horse, and the toys. Uh, So I just wanted to talk about Pentos as a whole. It is a port city on the bay, uh, north of Tirashi in Mir. And there's many expansive walled estates uh, belonging to the wealthy, much like the one that Damon and Lena are being housed in. Another man's of note in, in Pentos is the one of Illyrio Mopathis, where Daenerys and Viserys were housed briefly when, uh, right before Daenerys married Caldrogo. In fact, that's where the wedding was held. In the very first uh, episode of Game in, of in Thrones. In the very beginning of Game of Thrones, yeah. The, that's, that's Pentos that we're looking at there in the very beginning. Uh, the prince is the one who's hosting them here, and there's an interesting detail about the prince of Pentos. He normally gets to oversee all the parties, to flower two maidens at the each year to bring harvest prosperity to the har- land and the sea and he gets to oversee all the parties he's carried about on a palanquin with servants and all kinds of neat things the drawback to being prince of pentos if something goes wrong they kill you so it makes sense that instead of wanting to have his throat slit for going to war with the three sisters he asks them to stay and keep their dragons for defense so he's got very ulterior motives into <laughs> convincing Damon and Lena to stay in Pentos. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's an illustration of Pentos there because it's a city overlooking a bay. 
So that's probably what that painting is of that we're looking at in the background there. But does it feel like uh, he kind of insulted de them? I mean, if, if it was a demon uh, from before or if it was any other Targaryen, they might have taken it as an insult. Like he was trying to keep them as hired guns <laughs> to stay and protect them. Yeah, I, I could see that being taken as offensive. It's the okay, we'll 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 give you all this stuff if you stay with your dragons. We'll we'll hire you to stay on. Uh it did feel like a bribe. Yeah, we know at least Lena felt that way. <laughs> yeah, Lena was like, We're we're not sell swords, we're dragon riders. We do what we want, we don't do what other people want. Yeah. So there's a painting of Pentos. Yeah, that's gotta be Pentos overlooking the the Pintashi Bay. And there's a, this is her dragon root saddle. Look at that. I wonder what this uh, is. Uh, it looks like a handle, but uh, she's already mm, holding uh, something else in her hands. What do you think this is? Yeah, those look like hand, those are handles. She's, she's gripping the, the horn of the saddle, but those look like handles for more intricate writing to grip onto with a more secure grip. <laughs> it's possible. And look at uh, Vegar's hair. It's like ropes. <laughs> oh, those were ropes. No, those were ropes that ropes? were holding the saddle on. Yeah, they had ropes tied, tying the saddle on. That's what those are. But we also looked at it from a different uh, angle uh, in a different scene. And it looked like uh, it was Vegar's hair flying, like flowing huh. in the air. It did not look like that to me. Interesting. I'll have to take a second look at that. What do you think, Morgan? Uh, was it ropes or hair? I think <laughs> it's actually a mixture of both. There are absolutely ropes and whatnot holding on that saddle. Uh, but I don't even know if it's hair per se, like I, it, like tendrils or something. I don't know. The other dragons have not had hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. I don't see them as being hairy beasts. Except for the p the pink dread. The pink dread was very hairy. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> he was really scary. <laughs> Dreadful. The most dangerous dragon. <laughs> well, here we've got him wearing black with red trim. And you can even see that on his gauntlets, he's got the Targaryen crest. Yeah, and I wanted to discuss this scene uh, after uh, Lena says Dracarys and uh, Raymond flies into the fire and then comes out of it and he's not burnt at all. So do, do you guys think this means that Damon is uh, fireproof kind of like Danny? At least for the show. We know uh, there is no Targaryen who is fireproof in the books. But for the show, do you think, uh, does this imply that he has the blood of the dragon like he a real dragon what do you guys think uh personally i think it, they, that could be what they're going for but i can also say that like physics and aerodynamics and whatnot his his dragon's head is very long like the neck is very long right as he's yeah. flying through the air is pushing the fire away from the body he's probably not actually touching any fire just saying <laughs> yeah, I'm with Morgan. I'm with Morgan on that one. That the, the wing that it, it but uh, gotten... not even the clothes. Uh, like there, at least there could have been something because he just flew straight into the fire right. and came out of it. Like uh, at least clothes could have been burned. Uh, no, because the fire didn't touch him at all. Uh, yeah, it didn't burn him. It just never got to him. 
right like so as he as he flew through the 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 fire spread out because he was moving through the space and the head of his dragon is so far ahead of him that the by the time even though it was he's moving rapidly by the time his body reached where the fire was the fire had already spread out away from the dragon i guess that's possible yeah he flew straight into the fire and came out of it matter just look at the size difference cracks yeah. looks so small <laughs> and vega looks huge by the way uh, am i the only one uh, like is it just me or does it look a little bit like that scene from how to train your dragon <laughs> mm-hmm. the alpha <laughs> dragon <laughs> and <Yes>. toothless <laughs> and what do we have next Uh, we're going to go into our usual discussion of the color choices in the costuming. Uh, as usual, Rhaenyra chooses to stay in gold and gray. Uh, these or and light shades of pink. These seem to be her preferred colors that uh, are very pale, very muted. She doesn't wear a lot in the way of dark colors. It looks like she's she's still kind of holding on to her youth and that youthful innocence which of course she's trying to maintain that she's not having an affair um but she hasn't fully claimed her targaryenness right it kind she's of gives the wearing... pure princess vibe like we uh, you discussed earlier in our yeah, previous episodes yeah she's still in princess mode she hasn't fully taken to heart that she will be the heir because she's not being treated as that I mean we now saw that she has a place on the small council which is great but so does the queen so that causes a lot of problems i'm sure uh but yeah her her costuming hasn't really changed that much since her time jump to to this older version the, but I'll, i I'll, i think that that's a sign that I was, yes, just, I was just going to add in i'll point out that that dress is what she like literally was just giving birth <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i don't think yeah, she really got they, dressed they were... up dressed up No, she didn't get dressed up, but nonetheless, that's that's something that she would have had around and would be easily accessible for her, so it's not like it's something she never wears. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, looking at that, she's still wearing golds and grays with a little bit of red. Oh, that's a that poor girl. Look at her face. <laughs> <laughs> that's the face of a very surprised and unhappy woman. Uh, but yeah, so she's staying in gold. Gold seems to be her color because she hasn't fully taken on her duties as a Targaryen yet. Uh, so let's keep going. And we get to Alicent. Alicent has embraced herself and she has fully become her own person. She is no longer the wife of the king. She's no longer the daughter of Otto Hightower. She's Alicent the queen. She's not the wife of the king. She is the queen. and she's a totally assumed that position with all of these beautiful emerald silks with beautiful gold embroidery again the green and gold of high tower her she's not even look at her hair it's like she's wearing her own she's got crown. a little tiara she's got a little yeah she's got a little coronet on there but yeah she's fully she's fully and she's wearing green a lot and she always wears green or blue because she is her own person she's not a targaryen and she's making it very clear that she's not a targaryen with all of her color choices. Um but then there's the kids and we'll get into Oh, Lena. Yeah, Lena likes to wear blue. That seems to be her favorite color. So we see her in that a lot. She also likes to wear off the shoulder gowns, which we saw her in very frequently. So now we get to the boys. 
And they're conveniently color-coded, which is great. <laughs> Very helpful. That they would put the two older sons in green. Again, high tower green. And then you get to see the Jason Luce, Luke in their blue or black tunics. Because, you know, again, they're, they're just differentiating between the two different houses of the boys. And it, in this scene, you can see they're wearing Targaryen black and red. And the boys are still wearing their green, you know, quilted, quilted armor. And it's just, and again, it's the battle lines being drawn. You've got, this is the Targaryen side of the family. This is the high tower side of the family. Um, so that's what we've got in a color-coded convenience for us. And then we're going to close it out with this sad little scene, Uzma, right? Yeah. Then we see uh, Viserys kissing the ring of uh, Queen Emma Arryn. We discussed this ring in our one of our previous episodes. And we mentioned that this ring might show up later in some episode. And that's here it is. Uh, it kind of say, feel like, feels like he's uh, missing Emma. And maybe he... Do you think he regrets his decision, what he did to Emma in this scene? Yeah, I think he might. He really did love her. And I think he, he sacrificed her for his future. And that future wasn't what he expected. Because now he knows yeah, exactly. it's, 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 pretty clear now that, um, it's pretty clear to him now it's pretty clear to him now that Allison doesn't love him. Yeah, she has made that very clear. <laughs> Yeah, this is the ring from the previous episode. Yeah. Oh, and then, and then we have rats, rats in the room. <laughs> yeah, I've heard several theories that it might be connected to his uh, disease, maybe his illness, uh, or or uh, it might be Laris <laughs> having a green seer walk in the rats to spy on him. What do you guys think about the rats <laughs> in in these episodes? Uh, I think that it's rats usually symbolize decay and corruption uh, just because they are, you know, carrion eaters. And I think the more we see the rats, the closer we get to the end of things. Like we saw the rat in the Great Hall, right? In, in the episode five when the, they were it was feasting on the blood. And we've seen rats in other scenes before, but... This time, I think it's it's kind of like an omen of, of ill things, you know, uh, and Viserys sees it, which is different from before. Uh, Morgan, what's your take? Yeah, I think it's symbolic. Uh, the idea, people are saying that he, that Laris is warging into them, but to do what? <laughs> How are these rats poisoning the king? It doesn't make sense. Uh, it, it's symbolic. The rats are around. Lots of other people are around the rats. They aren't getting sick. I don't think the rats are what are making the king sick. I think it's just symbolic choices by the director. All right. And then, yeah, we've got a little a little knight's horse. And this, it's a nice little detail in the scene where uh, there's a ra rocking horse and there's a toy sword <laughs> for the kids to play for Jason, Luke. Yeah, it's very sweet. Yeah. Oh, I think that's everything for us, right? Yeah, that's all for the Dragon is in the Detail segment. Back to you, Morgan. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan Reynolds, and with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at 4 Cats Boutique 
on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the way. So if you want a Hobbit Hole bookmark, or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch Vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. And now for our main segment, Fire and Blood, where the whole council digs into some of the biggest moments that came up in the episode. I have compiled some questions for us to discuss. And no, I'm not a tyrant. (laughs) First question that proves tyranny. uh, What is your favorite character or moment? Pick one. Start with Uzma. Oh, I wish I could choose both. <laughs> I know, but you can't. Okay, uh, so I'll go with favorite character. My favorite character in this episode is Rhaenyra. Uh, because of the scene at the very beginning of the episode, she was so brave. Uh, she gave birth and immediately after that, uh, we saw that uh, Alicent has summoned uh, the ba- baby to uh, look to just check uh, the hair and confirm who the child belongs to and Rhaenyra is in pain and it takes a lot of guts and courage to change her dress and walk in walk down the halls in that condition and go to her and just all of this just to protect her baby so it really uh, this that scene was really touching for me what do you think Constance uh I would have to say my favorite say- character in this was Sir Christian of Hotness. Really? I, yeah. I really hated him. Because I hate him. Not because I like the guy, but because he's such an asshole. Right? Okay. I mean, okay, he, explain. Okay, so we're going off this whole jilt, like everybody's a jilted lover of everybody else, right? Rhaenyra yeah. and Alicent. You've got Rhaenyra and Christian Damon. Cole. Rhaenyra and Damon. Uh, and in this case, Christian is like the ultimate ex with a grudge, mm-hmm. where he feels so <laughs> very wronged by Rhaenyra that he'll go to any length, basically, to to screw with her uh, after having screwed her. Um, but in this case, it's it's goading, you know, Harwin into basically admitting that he's the kid's father. And that's and he's like all about duty and honor and this and that and then here he is being a complete asshole, and making that insinuation in public and bullying the kids and bullying the children, yeah, and and, and, total and getting the children to, to bully each other and encouraging that, yeah. So he's he's my character du jour, not because he's a good guy, but because he's being the antagonist in this. Honey McDonish mm-hmm. does look good on screen, you know. It was nice to see somebody mm-hmm. beat the crap out of him for a change, though, but. Yeah, I, I want to add in that my theory is, and I, I I think it's a fairly common theory, that even though he got Harwin to admit in through action at least 
that he's the father. I think Harwin is actually mistaken, and I think Hottie McDornish is the daddy of the first child Ooh. of Jace. Oh, that's who is ten years old. Just saying. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, Harwin started his affair with Rhaenyra right after the wedding. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that wedding was so close to when she had that little fling that it's very possible that the child was not his. <laughs> it was. That's a really interesting theory. But would he really treat his child that way? He wouldn't know. But he doesn't know. I like that. That's the Ooh. that's the nightmare of it. Is he doesn't know. Harwin believes that it's his. <laughs> Lenor knows it's not his, and Kristen <laughs> is doing all this and tormenting the boy and not realizing that it's his because we never saw her drink the moon tea. That's a good point. Yeah, and we don't know how often the two of them slept together. I got the impression when they were on the ship that it was more than once. Mm-hmm. It, I, I, I got the impression from his reaction to her and her reaction to him that this was not yeah. a one-off occurrence that they had had i don't think it was a one-off i think it was a whole like little love affair yeah i think it i think it was more than just one night so that's a crazy theory and i love it (laughs) yeah me too all right so my answer to the the question is a favorite moment which is the the council meeting where you've got rainira and allison just going back and forth and rainira going to the efforts to try to be like, all right, peace maybe? Could could we have some peace? And Allison being like, fuck no, bitch. <laughs> Ain't no peace mm-hmm. for you. Um, and it's just it, the, the snark, the hostility, the coldness. It's, it, it, was, it, it was saddening. It was engrossing. It was vivid. And yeah, yeah like everything could have been solved if only Alicent agreed to the match yeah. that Rhaenyra offered. Right. Uh, and so but- and and I think she might have even seen that her children weren't necessarily going to be killed. But who knows? But that her fears weren't necessarily the same as her hatred, which is why I like the idea that she and Rhaenyra had love more than just a friend's love and that this is a jilted story, right? There's a reason that she is so opposed and it's not just to protect her children because I don't think this is the behavior of someone protecting her children so much as behavior of hatred and scorn. Exactly. This is proof that uh, she uh, protecting the children is not her motive Mm -hmm. because if it was, she would have agreed to this. Uh, This would have uh, ensured the safety of her children. But she didn't agree to it. Yeah. I'm not going to say it would have ensured it, but I, it, it would have definitely helped. <laughs> made them safer. Yeah. Yeah. It would have made a common bond. You'd gone after any of yeah. the others. So. All right. So at the beginning of the episode, the lore was all about gender roles. And I was talking about a lot about women opposing their gender roles. But let's talk a little bit about male gender roles and how they're imposed in Westeros. So, 
based on the standard gender roles that Westeroses must follow, apparently, who is the better husband and father, Damon or Viserys, and why? Let's start with you, Constance. Um, it's really hard to say because both of them are not the best, but I'd say between the two, Damon is better because he actually didn't make the decision for Lena, right? Like Viserys made the decision for Emma my child over your life without telling without her. giving her consent without even discussing it with her just said go ahead and do it and damon didn't do that he didn't say go ahead and save the baby he didn't say go ahead and cut my wife open i think that they that she knew that was her options and she chose her own way out you know she wanted to die a dragon rider's death so she and he didn't quite stop her he didn't you know, it's like he knew where she was going, but he didn't really move to stop her. So I think he, he, was, he was too far. far yeah. I don't think he could have, even if he wanted. Yeah. Like maybe uh, he was just shocked. Possibly, but it's also not his dragon. You charge, yeah, you charge yeah. a rider when they're right in front of a dragon's mouth. You might be, be asking yeah. for some death, and maybe he's not actually fireproof. Just yeah. saying. But I think between <laughs> the two, based on the fact that he didn't decide for her. That Damon is the better husband. Uh, better father? Probably not. Because he's ignoring one of his girls in favor of the other just because one is a dragon rider and the other isn't. Whereas I think uh, Viserys loves his kids, or at least is proud of his kids and grandkids. So, one of, half, of, half, of, half of one and half of the other. Uzma. For better husband, definitely Damon. There's no question, there's no doubt about it. Because uh, we all saw what Viserys did to uh, Lady, uh, to Queen, Queen Emma Aaron, and she died horribly. Mm, so definitely, and when uh, Damon was told about this, his very first question was, what about the mother? Will she survive? So definitely uh, it's Damon. As for better father, I'm a little bit conflicted about it because Viserys is not a good father. We all know he never would have chosen Rhaenyra and he maybe uh, is not very concerned about her happiness that much but compared to Daemon uh, because I don't I really don't think that uh, Damon is avoiding uh, Rena on purpose or um, that uh, he's discriminating between Bela and Rena, Rena because of she has a dragon and uh, one doesn't. Maybe she just feels that way because uh, Damon is too busy with the books and everything and isn't able to pay too much att attention to his daughters. But we did see him uh, reading books to Bela, I think. So he was paying a little bit attention to uh, one of his daughters but if when it comes to uh, who is a better father i guess <laughs> i'll have to choose both are not very good choices but i'll i'll go with Viserys. <laughs> tough question <laughs> all right so for me uh, I know absolutely the better husband is Damon. And I'm not even getting into the whole 
had his wife cut open and died and whatnot. Look at the way the different wives look at their husbands, right? Like, Lena may be pissed at her husband, but she is open with him, communicative with him, has back and forth discussions with him, uh, and they they feel like a family, like a real family. And real families aren't all love and affection all the time, right? Whereas Alicent, oof, we've seen them in bed together. We know it ain't great. Not a great marital relationship there. And she clearly does not care for him. Whether she cared for him at the beginning or not, Hard to say whether it was all duty, but she she's done with it to... now. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't have to pretend. She's done done yeah. pretending. I don't think. Yeah. And even if we compare uh, Ray, Rhea Royce, I don't think we can count that as a husband wife relationship because they never even consummated. Never... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that relationship was basically forced upon Damon, and he never accepted that relationship. So so we can't count that one as a husband-wife relationship. Yeah. And then, so, as far as better father, it kind of, it breaks my heart, because we've seen stills come out that show a scene that was never actually shown in the episode of Damon comforting his daughters after their mother death. In the actual episode, he just kind of walks away from them. He's kind of telling them the story. I really wish that was in the episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because, yeah, it, it's it's really hard to see whether Damon has significant familial relations. We haven't seen him interact with his kids. We know that Viserys puts absurdly amounts... We saw Damon reading to Bela in yeah. the library. There, there's clearly affection there. But we've seen Viserys de- deal with his kids. He's ve- very laissez-faire. He, ve- he lets whatever happened happened with very little input and very little involvement of himself other than just that he likes to see his kids uh so is he a loving father yes is he a caring father i'm not a hundred percent sure and he puts so much pressure on his kids without ever really supporting them in that pressure he just makes the pressure and then expects them to step up but he doesn't actually spend any time making it easier for them or helping them to understand where things are. They're each learning things from other people while he just sits back. And it's just kind of sad. So for me, Damon wins both because we see at least signs of positive fatherly behavior and good husbandly behavior. And I just... I've lost all respect for Viserys. Not my king, you saying. <laughs> um, I was kind of on the borderline between Viserys and uh, Damon for the best, better father. Queen that never <laughs> was for the win. Yeah, understandably so. All right, so my next question. What is going on in Laris's head? I'm going to start with you, Uzma. I don't know why, but I just get this feeling like uh, like he's in love with Alison, like in a kind of a creepy mm-hmm. stalker kind of too. way. I felt that too. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Interesting. 
because i know uh, the book fans have been theorizing for many years like they have been comparing laris with little finger and varis and everything but in the show like uh, he's just trying to like get alison to like him he is doing whatever sh- that comes uh, out of her mouth to make her happy she just mentions that uh, yes um, sir otto's uh, opinion will be unbiased but at, at least he will be biased towards her and he killed his own father and brother just to make her wish come true and she didn't even want that to happen she was just uh, kind of talking in yes this uh, this would be better kind of way and he just went ahead and did this horrible thing just to please her he cut the tongues out of the people he sent uh, sent out to do the crime because uh, he didn't want anyone to uh, telling tales about what really happened so i definitely think he's uh, in love with alison with a kind of a creepy stalker kind of vibe there what do you think morgan um actually i'm gonna go to constance because she seemed to have some interesting thoughts on it that were similar to yours yeah i definitely got the impression that that laris was uh is is somewhat enamored of her uh it goes all the way back to the first scene where in the other episode where he tells her about the moon tea delivery right i think he's he's making a play it's clear that he wants to be a player in the game and he's attaching himself to her as his, you know, he'll be her pawn. But he sees the murder as an opportunity to get revenge on his dad for probably not being too fond of him as a cripple. Again, going back into our conversation about the other, uh, he is called Laris Clubfoot. And he does need, and because of the mm-hmm. fact that he does have a, a slight deformity and he needs the cane to assist with his walking. So I'm sure that his father never looked on him very proudly for that, especially compared to his brother, who's called Breakbones and is one of the strongest physical specimens of manhood in in the realm. So I think that killing the two of them was more than just trying to make Allison happy. I think he did it for his own personal reasons, but he also did it to get her in his pocket where he could easily say, oh, well, the queen told me to do it because she was upset. And no one would really believe Allison because why take a woman at face value? Because, again, the gender roles in Westeros. Mm-hmm. So a man's word held more weight than a woman's word. Uh, so if he were to say that she told me to do it, people would believe him over her. So I think that's that's my motivation yeah. for it was part part affection, part in, in integration and part revenge. And he's now Lord of the Harrenhal. And he's Lord of Harrenhal, which isn't that great a castle, but it's huge. So he got that going for it. <laughs> so I'm going to disagree with both of you, as I've already stated, and say I don't think he loves her at all. I don't think he has any affection for her. Uh, and I don't think that he's agreeing to be her pawn. I think it's quite the opposite. I think... He is making her his pawn. He is... You think he's playing the game? Oh, absolutely 100%. playing 100% the game. 100% playing. He, 100%. So he's playing the game. So, But look at it this way. Clearly, his willingness to just murder his father and brother shows that he is, uh, is a little messed a little up. psycho. Yeah. Um, possi- 
possibly yeah. a sociopath or a psychopath. Um, and yeah, he is. He in in that opening in that first intro of him about the moon tea and whatnot. Everything he says is manipulation. He basically says, I know who you are. I know what you want. This is what's going on. Go. And he releases her to create conflict. What does he then do as soon as the conflict that she's starting happens? He says, hey, look, everybody. There's a green dress. This means war. <laughs> he <laughs> is playing her like a fiddle. Why? Because she is weak and alone. He sees that she's been set up and then abandoned. And he says, oh, look, a toy that nobody else is playing with. And he took over. I guess he picked I can up see where that. Otto left yeah. off. I, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Right. So Otto was doing all the planning, the early strategies. Mm -hmm. And Laris just said, ooh, mm, no. Otto's gone, I'm taking over, and I'm going to maintain control from here on out. I see that I can take the Targaryen dynasty and make it my bitch through this one pawn. And that's exactly what he's doing. I, I think yeah, he is very sophisticated. Yeah, it was only after he gave her the information. Yeah, he's, he's, he's feeding her the information to enrage her not because she wants it because does any of the information you provide her ever make her happy no just confirms no. suspicions and stirs up more trouble right all yeah all he does is stir up trouble he doesn't do anything that ever makes her happy he just feeds off of her fears and pushes her to act more and more and more and now and he has power over her Yes. Like, uh, so he let her say those words and then he completely he didn't misconstrue them. He already he had plans to remove his family. He said, ah, look, perfect opportunity to gain even more control, because if I kill my father and my brother, then she then I can tell her that it was her fault and she won't be able to say anything without making herself also to blame without falling with me. Mm -hmm. Now she's mine, no matter what. Partner in crime. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I don't think he likes her. I don't think he loves her. I think she is just a very easy pawn for him. All right. Moving on to my next question. The great fear that drives Alicent is Rhaenyra, that Rhaenyra will kill her children in order to secure her own line of succession. Do you feel that Rhaenyra would actually do this? Start with Constance. No, I, I don't think Rhaenyra would kill the her half-siblings off for the line of the throne. She even flat out said, hey, look, when I'll be queen, my son will be king, let's marry him to your daughter, and then we'll keep the family as one, unite our houses again you know, mend the rift. Mm -hmm. If she was planning on killing them, she wouldn't do that. She's not Megor the Cruel. She is not a yeah. cruel and heartless person. I think that she was secure enough in her position to where she knows she's heir. She's never questioned that. She's never questioned her father's decision whether or not he's going to keep her as heir. 
I think at this point it's too far gone for him to turn around and say, never mind, my son's going to take over, even though Alicent and everyone else assumes that's what's going to happen. Viserys is too invested in Rhaenyra to turn around and say, no, your brother's taking over. Um, so I think that she would not have killed the children, you know, killed her, killed her family. Besides, that's kinslaying, right? And we all know that as part of our, the, yeah, it's the one of the bigger sin. sins. Yeah, so I don't think she would have done that. What do you think, Uzma? I completely agree with you. If we look at her actions so far, her character, her personality, yes, she can be occasion- occasionally maybe selfish or immature, but so, uh, she has never shown any signs that she is cruel or she will uh, harm someone without any reason. So uh, I don't think uh, if... Uh, Aegon, like if Aegon never really challenged her or her claim or her, if it's not up to their kids' safety, I think I don't think she will do it. Like you mentioned, she tried to unite their houses, so there will be no bloodshed in the future, and she tried to do everything she can. So I think Alicent is the main problem here. I don't think Rhaenyra is. Like, Alicent is deliberately being cruel to Rhaenyra, having her summoned immediately after the delivery and everything. And Alicent is not doing anything uh, to provoke her. She is just being herself. She is just living in her happy world, but Alicent is not okay with it. So I don't think at this point of time, I don't think Rhaenyra is capable of it. Even with Damon, I would say... Maybe he's uh, like we haven't seen him deliberately kill an innocent person. So even with Damon, I would say it's not possible. <laughs> but I can be biased when it comes to Damon. <laughs> I mean, Damon so, did beat the crap out of the messenger. Just saying. Yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> that guy was pretty innocent. He didn't do anything. He just delivered a message. <laughs> Good point. So maybe maybe Damon could, but I don't think Rhaenyra can at this point. What do you think, Morgan? Yeah, I, I, I don't think that she would seek to do it. I do think it would happen, honestly. I do think that whether she wanted... Whether the boys stood up and said, I want to be king. I think someone else would put them in place and say, hey, we want this boy to be king. And she would have to fight. Um, but as we saw with John, he kept saying, I don't want it. And uh, yeah, he but never these aren't really John. claimed anything. <laughs> true. These are, these are true-born Targaryens, one of which who is being raised by a woman to rule whether she whether he should or should not be right the mm. i don't think that young aegon who is masturbating out the window Why? over the people's faces Why? of westeros i don't think that he would be <laughs> like oh no i don't want to be king i don't want all the power to do whatever i want no he does why did we have to see that so <laughs> if someone says Aegon's king, mm-hmm. he'll be like, yep, I'm king, thanks, bye. <laughs> and she'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, I have to kill you now. I didn't really want to. I really, really don't want to. Maybe I'll put you into house arrest, and then, mm, nope, you're still resisting. Oh, I guess I lost a nephew, slash uh, uh, brother. 
Yeah. And yeah, I think that's uh, that's just how that's going to go, sadly, is whether she ever wanted it, it still would happen. And so I do think Allison's fears are founded, though also manufactured by Otto. All right. That is my last question. So now we are moving on to our final segments uh, where we have Fans of the Dragon, where Uzma and Constance will give us trivia, polls about World of Ice and Fire, and questions, then comments from you, the listeners. All you, Uzma and Constance. All right. So by tradition, we start off with this week's trivia question. This week's trivia question is, what is Morgan's theory about the parentage of Jaceris Valarian? Not quite as crackpot as you think. I actually <laughs> support this theory. Uh, so that is our question. What is the theory about Jace's parentage? So there you go. Uh, and I believe Uzma has polls for us this week. Yeah. Uh, I posted polls on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Uh, the poll uh, was, who do you think was the biggest jerk in episode 6? So on Twitter, 29.6% uh, uh, voted for Kristen Cole and Laris Strong. So they Perfectly are tied. tied on Twitter wow. at least. <laughs> yeah. And on YouTube, uh, we have Alison Hightower as the winner. <laughs> Although <laughs> Snowdrop commented, uh, the first thing I did after watching the episode was search how Kristen Cole and Ral- uh, Laris die <laughs> in books. <laughs> and he did that. <laughs> so definitely, they are yeah. very annoying. And as for Facebook, by 70 votes, Christian Cole is the winner, 56%. Wow, that's impressive. (laughs) Half the population goes for Christian Cole. So I guess he is our asshole of the week. For once, it's not not Otto Hightower for once. Exactly. (laughs) True. I actually expected Allison to get more more votes, but... uh, Christian Cole is the winner here. Although some people do say that uh, uh, Laris should have his own category because he was beyond <laughs> jerk in this episode. He should be a monster. He's a kinslayer. So what do you guys think about this? Who? What are your thoughts? Oh, I think Laris should have won. Christian was a jerk, but he didn't kill anybody. He just exposed their secrets. What do you think, Morgan? Yeah. I think that Laris was not a jerk. He was a sociopath. So I didn't really count him. <laughs> and <laughs> I I voted for Allison <laughs> just because of how she handled everything was just so hostile. True jerky behavior. So by the definition of jerk that I go by, <laughs> she fit it. My vote also goes to Allison Hightower. It was a real jerk move to have uh, Rhaenyra come to her in this in that condition. Yeah, that was, that was not a fun power play. All right. So that's what we have for our poll. Okay, so we're going to close off with one, two, three. Who's, Who's that? that? Dragimon! Dragimon! <laughs> 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 this is...
This week's Dragimon, at 10 years old, was about the size of a pony, but not quite large enough for young Prince Jaceres to ride. Colored green with a red crest, this dragon was bonded at birth to Jace, having his egg placed in the young prince's cradle. Now, some called into question Jace's parentage due to his darker features, because his mother and father have both had white Falarian hair, but his bonding to a dragon at birth silenced some of the doubters because it proved that he was a true Tagarian to bond with the dragon. But again, the dragon bonding is on his mother's side, not his father's, even though it could be his father's. It's just the whole, oh, you're a dragon rider? Must be a Tagarian. Of course he's a Tagarian. His mother was a Tagarian. All right, rant over. Um, our dragon was penned <laughs> in the dragon pit where he's being handled by the Valerian dragon tamers and razors learning the language and how to be commanded by his prince. He knows the words Jakaris and is very happy to roast lamb dinner with that command. He's going to become a mighty dragon someday in the near future, and we will see more of him in the dances to come. This week's dragon is Theramax. Isn't he adorable? Just so cute. I love the little red coloration on his spikes. So that's <laughs> it. Back to you, Morrigan. Let's close the show. All right. This is our episode. Follow us on Facebook at A-W-P-O-I-A-F and Twitter at Ice and Fire Party. And email us at watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. If you are watching on YouTube, feel free to comment below. A massive thank you to our producer, our lord of editing, Jordan Reynolds, for editing and putting this episode together. Be sure to check out our allies' watch party, Lord of the Rings, for the Rings of Power series. And every Saturday, they will be releasing a hot take of the latest Rings of Power episode. And on Sundays, a big old live stream at 11.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. In collaboration with Fellowship of the Fans, featuring a newbie panel and no-book spoilers, a lore panel, Tolkien artists, cosplay, and, cost and custom food and drink recipes made by Sam one of our, our usual anchor. Uh, people can call in, participate live, and the stream will then be posted to their podcast a few days later. So light up old Toby and jump on in. We also have our pals Watch Party Wheel of Time who are taking a little hiatus while House of the Dragon and Rings of Power air, but there are still 41 fantastic fantastic episodes for you to enjoy. This has been a production of the Watch Party Network. Thank you so much for joining us. We are your hosts, Constance. Awake, awake. Uzma. Willem Morgan's going to laugh for no reason at all. <laughs> and myself, the data's break. Uh, and Sam and Solar are out for the night. Velar Morghulis.